everyone and welcome to another wonderful episode of the Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities presents the Hometown Haunts podcast. I am your host Kat Cloco. along with me is Christina Wald and Jen Kohler and we're back from our spring break. Uh, hope everyone is having a good day. I hope you had lunch and I hope you're feeling good. Um, you can follow us on social media at Cabinet Curio on Twitter at Cincy Cabinet of Curiosities on Instagram, and you can send us your own hometown haunts, creepy cryptids, or spooky urban legends to hometownhauntedmail at gmail.com. Yes, that is a live email that I check daily, and man, I miss you all. Please send me all of your stories. I love reading them. I need something to do while drinking my coffee in the morning. Uh, anytime's a good for good time for spooky time. Uh, you can find us on itunes yes and we're also an official podcast on well itunes and youtube so hi you're listening to us thank you for finding us please share us with your friends so that other spooky lovers just like you can listen to the weird history of cincinnati and uh, chat with us and of course send us your spooky stories to hometownhauntedmail at gmail.com so, ladies, there was a lot that happened in the past week. Um, one of them I will get into a rage if we talk about for a long time. I do want everyone to know that we very much support the, the, the Asian American and Pacific Islander community. And I am extremely angry at the shooting that happened in Atlanta. It's very obvious that it is a racial hate crime. And it is very perverted in my words. I cannot express how angry I was when I heard that. I, I don't care what the women did. It was a loss of life. And I can't believe you did that. Um, Christina, Jen, input before I explode. 100% agree with you. It, no one deserves to be shot and c- killed just for who they are. No. Well, Again, uh, except for pedophiles. Yeah, that that's just bad all around. <laughs> but yeah, I went to the. Uh, they had a, a, a gathering at the um, Freedom Center in downtown Cincinnati, and um, a lot of people were telling their stories. And you know, it kind of showed you how ignorant ignorant you were to history. You know, in the United States, uh, you know, a lot, for example, the railroads being built by Chinese immigrants. I mean, I knew that and, you know, a lot of the violence towards that, but some of the more recent things I didn't even know about, um, I kind of remember them peripherally, like for example, in Detroit um, in the eighties when that was kind of the, when first you started seeing a lot of Japanese cars coming to this country and uh, Detroit was, you know, a lot of workers were being laid off, not because of that, but because of other reasons, you know, uh, corporations are always, you know, uh, you know, a a lot of the problems in the 80s that had to do with, uh, you know, cars and why they were being made here had nothing to do with the competition in Japan. But anyway, a long story short, a Chinese man was beaten up and killed in Detroit. And it was so the topic was so hot in Detroit that they had the trial in Cincinnati and the father and son who beat him up actually got off. They didn't get put in, they got, I think three years probation 
and the judge said that you know they weren't the type of people that should go to jail and it was just stuff like that was pretty horrendous yeah i mean it was it was horrible stuff um you know and that was a story that i never knew what the resolution i kind of peripherally remember the incident but i don't remember you know exactly the details probably when i was you know i probably wasn't paying a ton of news attention to the news at that point you know as a teenager um yeah but you know there's there's always been you know a lot of issues and so you know i i think that it's something we should all be sensitive to you know and and you know and see how i mean there's a lot of again stereotypes and stuff like that that a lot of people don't realize that they're uh putting on other people oh yeah the microaggressions are egregious and extremely common so jen did you have anything to say before i just go into a soapbox or on a soapbox you know ever since i uh, i work for the cincinnati Enquirer, so and i have a love-hate relationship with the news (laughs) like i Mm. never growing up news was not an important thing in my household um it was never something i paid attention to until i started working at the Enquirer, and then I got laid off and I was angry at that. So I just kind of shut down on the news front (laughs) and I'm still kind of there because now her such horrendous things are happening that I absorb it and it just makes me angry and it and sad. And then I can't function. Mm -hmm. So in a lot of ways, I, I just shut it out because I can't emotionally take it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But, um, you know, I, with my mom being Buddhist when I was a child, uh, I grew up around a lot of Japanese, um, people and I mean, people from all over the world actually. And Mm -hmm. I loved them all. They, they were always, they always had Pocky and always had Japanese candy to give me. (laughs) You don't know how oh, excited I was when I found Pocky at Kroger. <laughs> and because it just brought back all like going to meetings and just sitting yeah. with them and just, I, I don't know, please stop killing people. Just stop shooting yeah, just, people. Just should stop because then you got the King Supers <laughs> incident and last week and I was just like, can, can we just not do this? Let's not repeat that bit. But which is also a huge tragedy, tragedy all on, upon itself. But um, with the murders that happened in Atlanta, the Asian American community, for me personally, are my adoptive family because I don't have a large extended family. They've been my adoptive family for over 20 years now. So when I see people get shot for the most inane reasons and they are and I see people in my community get microaggressions put about them. And it's just the way people phrase things. It is extremely hurtful. And I know I've yelled at more than one person for my friends. Um, I've seen them yell at people too. They don't need to stay silent. I don't need to be here to always defend them. But it's just angry just seeing this happen to them. 
and also having to learn how to just roll with it and just to enjoy the rest of your night. You have to just go whatever and walk on. It shouldn't have happened in the first place. So, um, yeah, it, it's it was the murder of Vincent Chin. That was 1982. That's what Christina was citing. I could remember his last name, but not his first name. Mm-hmm. And looking that up. no problem. I was just like, Chin, Chin, what is his first name? I could not remember. And he was a, a Chinese American. Mm-hmm. And um, Asian American history is American history, just like mm-hmm. African American history is American history. We should all be learning about this. We should be mm-hmm. learning about the detention centers that Japanese Americans were thrown into. One mm-hmm. of my mom's friends was actually born in one in, in Hawaii. And wow. uh, she taught me about that when I was rather young. And so I was an odd one out in Indiana who knew about these um, centers before we even touched the one paragraph we had in our history book about it. And during the war, right? In high school. And it was really late in high school. And um, so um, we do want to share the stopaapihate.org. Uh, please contribute and help act upon all of these microaggressions. This is by no means pushing aside the NAACP and all of that, um, but also bringing to the spotlight the stop AAPI hate so that uh, we can really just stop all this freaking nonsense. Just stop it. Just well, stop also, it. Um, yeah. Respect support everyone. Lo- support your local Except community for too. Like, um, you yes. know, go to the... There's a lot of really great Asian grocery stores in town. Uh, Cam, Cam is like my home grocery store. Yeah, uh, and there's there's uh, a really nice Vietnamese market at Finley Market, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know your favorite uh, restaurants. You know, be sure to patronize them too, and and keep their businesses. A lot of restaurants, particularly, have been hit hard by COVID. So, patronize them. You know. Um, you know, patronize even art shows about it. Uh, and I'll try to find links. I'm not sure if this is up right now. I know um, one of my friends spoke at the rally, Emily, and um, she teaches at Art Academy and she's been doing a lot of artwork um, about the internment camps and that sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. hoping, helping people never forget. And I think there is something currently going on. Let me see if I can find a link for that in the show. I don't know. Beyond violence, you know, um, you might i mean everybody is probably guilty of doing some sort of minor 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 microaggression and just not realizing it yeah bias also happens as well yeah and so So. just think about like some of that stuff everybody should you know kind of examine what it is you're saying and you know there's certain why people use that that you know and that you've been raised with it without necessarily realizing it so you should be examining you know what you're saying and how it might be hurting other people yeah 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 so just just know that we support you we're equally mm-hmm. as angry about it happening as you are and uh very active in trying to prevent future tragedies like this occurring again yes and, and i just want to mention george takei yes george takei was also mm-hmm. born in mm-hmm. a um internment camp. was he born yes. in it or was he just taken he- to it as a little boy i can't remember I think okay, he was I think taken. you're right. He was taken. Sorry. I but what a graphic I love novel about, about it. Go segueing back to comics. There is a graphic novel about it you can get. Yes, it recently came out. Say what I love about him. 
is that he uses his fame to talk about the internment camp so that we never forget. So I think every interview he mentions it. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's amazing because that's living history. And it's it's a scar that never goes away. Mm-hmm. There was also in a play about it that they showed in those, uh, what do they call those fathom events that I went to see that was really sad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, George Takei's book is They Called Us Enemy. And it's available at your local booksellers. You can order it online as well. It's on Kindle and Comixology for those who use it. And it has a five out of five star. It's number one bestseller on Amazon. And it has 2,055 ratings. So that is a very good book. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, and the other writer or the artist, I think, is Justin Isinger, who Mm. is the artist. Excellent. So we've segued into comics. So yes. So on that note, we have a new lineup for the Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities, Volume Two, and it's really exciting. We, it's a good group of people. I'm excited. I've been looking through everyone's thumbnails and their layouts and their stories and their scripts because I'm the editor. And (laughs) and uh, shall I share who's doing what, Christina? Please do. All right. So our very own Christina Wald has teamed up with Jeff Jeff Suss. Yeah. Cease. 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 Jeff Cease. Thank you. <laughs> Welcome. And covering the Price Hill Medium, who they very there you there's your eight magic eight ball. The, talking about the uh, magic eight ball too. Yes, she was the inspiration for the Magic 8-Ball. Her son helped invent it. And uh, Christina and Jeff have written a great piece about that. And uh, yeah, it, it's, I'm excited. It's a lot. It's, it's fun because you cover that nice Edwardian transition time period. And you also have Sir Arthur Conan Doyle in your story. Came to Cincinnati. So. I mean, everybody should know. Yeah, he came he to was, Cincinnati. So. it's like hey we were famous once as a city um <laughs> famous people came, came here on purpose uh, <laughs> oh this is a dig to my adoptive hometown anyway so kevin necessary pulitzer prize winning cartoonist is writing about the ghost at the chillicothe gazette that he had a personal experience with that tom was a gr- miller it's it's a great ske- set of sketches too i, I think it's yeah a that's a really story yeah and uh it is a haunting story he does so well with it too mm-hmm. um i thought so i was i was just like dang it man how are you this good with your layouts like mine look like a hot mess and his were like already ready to go and i'm like i could just print this it'd be fine exactly. him and him and steve did a really really good job uh so tom miller who did the cover uh, of the first issue is doing the Screaming Bridge at Maud Hughes Road, which is a very popular urban legend around here. And that is your classic crybaby bridge with a very terrible train derailment that made it haunted. So, so great to have an urban legend in this lineup. I, I am happy uh, that he chose to do this one. Uh, he has some personal connection to the bridge, which is even better. And uh, yeah, I love having one urban legend, at least in each story. So uh, last year, Christina did Satan's Hollow. And this year, Tom is doing uh, Maud Hughes Road. And then we have a new pair, Inky and I'm going to mess up her name. Is it Aziza? 
Yes. I've been practicing um, with the crosswick snake. When I mess up people's names, I practice them until I get them right. Because um, I don't want to make them sad. Anyway, Inky and Aziza uh, are doing the crosswick snake, which is a fun cryptid that we dug up with the help of our friend James Willis, who we had on the show for episode 10. And uh, it is a words fail me with how crazy this little encounter is it's just like the mermaids of the ohio river where they were seen once and then you really never heard about them again but they were a local legend a hyper local legend in just this tiny town in warren county ohio so um so inky and aziza are doing that and then along with that is steve i'm going to mess up his last name too stagaline stagaline um we'll have to we'll have to when we interview him we'll have to have him pronounce his name yeah so (laughs) just just like cloco just i'm gonna go staggling so steve please correct me because i know i'm wrong and he is doing cryptids forever which is a wonderful bring together at a self-help group of ohio cryptids and he's got everyone in it and his was another one where his original pencils could have just been published as is they were so good and it so peppy as well as inky and aziza's both of those stories i think i'm sorry christina they those two or those three all have the strongest stories so far in this in this issue they, they're so poppy. There's a lot happening. They're really well done. And they're all new artists, too. Artists and writers to our thing, to our uh, project. And then last and least is myself. And I'm doing, the go- <laughs> I'm doing the Ghosts of the Sorg based off of my personal experience uh, running into a ghost of a flapper there um, in the commercial building. And also highlighting the other well-known ghosts of the Sorg Opera House in Middletown, Ohio. And uh, my story was not nearly as snappy. I'm working on it. I think all the stories are snappy. I think it's it's a good collection of, I mean, I think yeah. we've got a, a lot of really strong content in this issue. Yeah. Like Kevin's is really in. good for a biographical comic. And then I looked at mine afterwards and I'm like, oh, there's things that I can do to improve this. So. I, yeah. I mean, yeah, because mine's kind of a kind of a historical lesson. So, yeah. like each one kind of does something different. You know, mine's more of a historical thing about something that a lot of people don't probably know about Cincinnati. I mean, it's so exciting that this is the origin of the Magic Eight Ball. That you know, we had a famous medium. A lot of people don't know that. As a matter of fact, her mm-hmm. house was bulldozed. I mean, I you know, her house isn't there anymore. I was able to find some pictures of it. Um, I'm mm-hmm. taking some liberties with some of the stuff because there's just you just have to find probably someone that lived on that street that might have pictures of it. Yeah, you know things yeah. just not that I think anyone's probably going to knock us that much for accuracy. I mean, we've <laughs> no, <got it> pretty <laughs> close. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, as a matter of fact, I've been there's a Facebook group called Old Photos of Society. I was asking on there if anyone had pictures of Old Price Hill, and I am going to actually contact. The Price Hill Historical Society before I do final artwork and see if anyone because like the best way to find stuff like that would be people that lived on that street family photos and stuff so somebody has to have pictures of it somewhere it's just not in the pantheon of oh of Cincinnati history been 
you know, you I mean, may... that, that terrible picture of her and she's buried in Spring Grove and that's about all you have. I think. Sorry. No gonna... worries. Uh, the Museum Center is really good about um, their research center, but you got to oh. give them time because uh, mm-hmm. they have phenomenal photographic archives. Oh, I should look for that. Maybe somebody yeah. has a picture of stuff on that street. Sorry. Re- um, no, go ahead. Uh, when I did a tour of it years ago through work, um, they had photos of someone that was documenting street by street for something. So who knows what they've got? You never Maybe, know. Yeah, I, I, the, time, the, the, the thing is time period because I want a picture of it like in the 20s. Yeah. would be so, ideal even the 30s would be nice what i have is pictures of it right before it was knocked down and probably pictures from like the 2000s like okay we think yeah i mean i think that there's probably a porch on it at one point but mm. it was taken off because the way that you look at the house it looks like there was some sort of other structure on it that probably got wonky and they probably took it off at some point like but you look at houses kind of in that neighborhood so what I was going to suggest is that you contact Camp Chesterfield in Indiana. Mm-hmm. They are the um, spiritualist center or the spiritualist movement in Indiana. And they've been around since 1891. I just had to look up their uh, their address and everything. And uh, they may, if, uh, if uh, Lauren Pruden was a part of the spiritualist movement, they probably have some archives about her stuff too. They do have an entry about her, but no pictures of her house. But well, that doesn't mean I don't they know don't they have, have them. Yeah, it, I don't know what they have actually at the Yeah, they might uh, have something more camp. substantial that they haven't scanned in. I mean, why yeah. would people care about that unless you were doing a comic? I mean, that's <laughs> the thing. You, whenever you have to do artwork that involves some sort of biographical um, a component, that's one of the hardest things is find, finding pictures of stuff the way it was. I... I illustrated a biography of Andy jump cannon um and when i was illustrating that book i mean i was at all of her stuff was at harvard um and so i had to actually contact the librarian there and even then like you have to ask you know what color were things like there's a lot of stuff when you're illustrating something in color that that you don't think about like when you're writing about someone you know what color was this person's eyes you know what what did this the interior of their house look like you know what did this look like i mean a lot of times you have to make educated guesses because that stuff's not around anymore yeah it's like when you're trying to describe what the dinosaurs looked like exactly and now it's now some have feathers who would have guessed yeah they could have all had feathers bird was very accurate for a dinosaur look Oh man, that's not, I'm not going to look at Sesame Street the same way again now. <laughs> how far back, you know how the auditor websites have pictures of your house back and back, back? How far back do they go? Like, would they have uh, historical photos of an address? Uh, somebody found me a, a, a older picture on the auditor site. Okay. Um, I, think, I think that's something, again, you might have to go to the office. Like, they're not going to mm. scan in stuff that old and find out where they have that stuff archived. I think it exists. It's just finding, okay. you know, yeah. where it is at that time period. And um, then hoping it was properly stored. Well, there well. is that. There is that. Um, 
you know, one hopes with all of the digital recording of stuff that some things will be easier to, to find. But, you know, there's also that dilemma. What if something takes out those servers? You know, yep. um, there, 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 there is a argument for redundancy and archival things. So mm-hmm. I've been doing that the past year with all my personal stuff. Oh, very smart. And I have a redundant server eight terabytes and i filled it already wow that's that's, that's so easy to do i've got a 32 terabyte array drive and And it's getting full how like i don't and then to upgrade it is super expensive but amazon photos has this if you're a prime member you can upload as many photos as you want for free so did i put all my eggs in that basket (laughs) just like well, make sure you, you always have, always make sure you have more than one storage system because, yeah, um, you know, this happened a couple of years ago. There was a website that a lot of artists were using that it was like a computer graphics, like CGI website and all these artists would do artwork and save it to the cloud. And um, mm-hmm. the site was owned by two people that were, I want to say they were in like either Sweden or Denmark or something. And they decided they didn't want to continue with the site anymore and all the people that had art on the site suddenly lost it like they, oh, they no. took it off they took this it offline i think they did eventually let people have access to get their stuff but it, it's a, a warning to make sure you back up your work yeah in yeah. more than one place although my wow. sister tells me she's going to delete all my stuff when i die so oh what's well. the point <laughs> wow yeah she's mean that- She's cold. mean. <laughs> that is very cold. But anyway, so um, <sighs> we got we got we segued into storage, but but the next issue of the comic uh, should be really exciting, and mm-hmm. you know, stay tuned because we'll be revealing um, the cover process too in the next month or so. Mm-hmm. Um, we should be getting sketches for that soon and showing that off. Um, I can't wait to see the whole book come together. Yes, I'm very Yay. excited about it. It, it will be. And uh, there's a good chance that we may have a Cincinnati Comic Expo. So you may see Ooh. some stuff there. That would be Ooh. very exciting. Yeah. Um, I just heard that San Diego Comic Con is going to be over Thanksgiving. Oh, well, that's good. Uh, so it's like five people will be there. <laughs> Everybody that doesn't have family commitments is going to be. Maybe. I mean, why not? That sounds preferable that's... to my family. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, <laughs> weird stuff we saw this week, Christina. Um, you know, I, I thought I saw this on Huffington Post and I just thought it was really interesting. Um, it, it was this and we'll have a link in the show notes. Uh, this guy was actually reenacting, you know, those fun reenactments you see on those shows. He was actually at a haunted house reenacting this guy and it was really creepy and they were actually seeing paranormal stuff happening. And it sounded like the show didn't have the paranormal activity that they experienced just making the show, which was, I wondered how often stuff like this happens because like they saw faces and, and, you know, he felt some very uh, destructive presences. Um, You know, does that ever happen where you're trying to get something, but like what you get that you could show to other people is not what you've experienced it's hard yes to- that happens every time it feels like like 
um, most, and I'm pretty sure that we talked about that with Amy and Amanda, what you personally experience at a location is vastly different than the terrible audio that you've managed to record at the location. Uh-huh. This is why the paranormal tends to be something that has to be experienced and less of a easily scientific process. Um, this is our big roadblock with proving it basically is that it makes for great stories. It makes for great experiences, but being able to recreate them in a lab is almost impossible. Um, I will say from, this is going to be secondhand knowledge. So I'm just passing off somebody else's story. When I was the co-host of the paranormal view, my fellow co-host is Jeffrey Gould. Hey, Jeff. Um, I need to make some Doctor Who reference sometime during this episode for him. But <laughs> it, he works in Hollywood as a actor in backgrounds and in a lot of horror movies. And he, we would have guests on that, he, that were like um, either directors or producers or fellow uh, co-stars with him in the, in the movies. And they would just talk about all the paranormal activity that they would happen on set um, at these because it'd be really cheap to be able to rent out oh my gosh what was it in los angeles it used to be one of their oldest sane asylums or tuberculosis Mm -hmm. sanatorium has since been torn down it's the same with um central state in indianapolis it has been torn down but it used to be used a lot for movie shoots or music videos things like that and people would experience stuff and they would think it'd be like um a background person working on some type of practical effect and it turned out to be no one on the production staff at all seeing small children walking through the rooms um it, it's seeing faces in mirrors seeing hands up on shower curtains or abandoned curtains in uh, patient rooms feet hearing phantom coughs like cold spots, all, all sorts of stuff. Waverly Hills also has this reputation and so does um, Mansfield Reformatory because a lot mm-hmm. of music videos get made there. I mean, there's a jail, it's not a jail, it's, there's a cell there that um, is painted completely gold for somebody's music video back in the day. And yeah, there's stuff that happens in the background of all these and it screws up their audio like mad. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, it can. You'll hear and, and, voices like disembodied voices on their audio tracks and all that. And stuff like this, like you said, it's not like as it, it's kind of subtle. It's not in your face, especially because right. we're conditioned to watch like, say, horror films and stuff where everything's yeah. overhyped and stuff when it's, you know, it's much more subtle. Uh, the I, paranormal is extremely mundane. Yeah, I mean, but but people have to read this article. I th- this guy, so he goes, he calls central casting and gets to do this reenactment, and it's one of these houses where there's been lots of deaths, and they found all these bodies. And um, I, I love this part where he says, "I didn't know much about my role or what I'd be doing. I'd only been told I'd be playing a menacing-looking spirit for the reenactment segments. I hadn't received a script ahead of time because I." didn't have any lines to memorize and i was told that my blocking would be explained to me on set i didn't even know which spirit i was going to be playing but when i returned to the tent the homeowner saw my fedora and instantly knew oh you're playing him him i reluctantly asked they told me about the spirit of the man who supposedly occupies the top floor of the house they claimed he was by far the darkest spirit that resided in the house and they believed him to be the one who attacked the priest on the stairs He also had allegedly attacked another visitor at the house by throwing a heavy can of food at his head. 
great, I was playing the man who turned out to be the most evil spirit in the house and on his own turf, no less. After the homeowners revealed this information to me, the rest of the cast and crew came outside for lunch. As we were eating, something caught my eye on the second story of the house. I suddenly noticed a curtain and a window began to move as if someone was slowly peeling it back. I immediately thought it was unusual because as far as I knew, no one was upstairs and it was a particularly still summer day. I continued to watch intently as the curtain when a crew member noticed my gaze. She asked if there was anyone up there and the director confirmed that everyone was outside. Someone asked if a fan might be running in that room due to the silence that's required to filming. All of the fans in the home had been shut off. One of the homeowners noted that was probably him. And before anyone could say another word, the curtain pulled back once again and a ghoulish face stared directly at us. There he is, she said matter-of-factly. She had lived in the home most of her life, so she claimed to have grown up with that sort of activity. To her, it was almost commonplace. I, on the other hand, was fully trembling at this point. So the poor guy. I know. I mean, it, I felt really bad. Uh, uh, what's his name? The guy. I'm scrolling back to see his name. Alex Aronson. Yeah, that would be that would be kind of, uh, you know, he was kind of dropped into this situation. Oh man. I know. He and, should and have people, asked the ghost for tips. I, know. <laughs> I don't know. If, I, I, I don't think that idea. he wanted to encourage him. Contact. But, but that would be creepy, eating lunch and seeing like a curtain go back and see a ghoulish face. I mean, for for you, Kat, who's experienced with this, you probably would have been like, oh, another ghoulish face. But I think yeah, I have to and say I would that be is like, the- oh my God. <laughs> I, I am happy to report that that is something that has not happened to me yet. No ghoulish Good. faces. No Good. ghoulish Good. faces popping out of windows. Um, yeah, that that's a new one. Um, the closest I ever got was seeing a shadow person walking by a window when I was outside during an investigation. Mm-hmm. But actually that happened twice. But no faces right up to a window pulling anything back. So... I, I wouldn't be scared. I'd be immediately wondering how I can get in there and up there real quick to be able to take like photos or video or audio or mm-hmm. wondering if anybody left anything on. That's why a lot of times investigators, if we're doing a place, will actually leave the electronics going and note where we left them. We'll actually mark them with uh, carpenter's tape so that and then just leave will actually completely exit the building because there's many times where if spirits know we're investigating them and we've been there enough times they recognize us they start getting chatty and they start moving things and so yeah that sounds like an interesting place to go i would love to investigate it um does it say on here where it is it just says it's on one of those like unsolved mysteries kind of shows but i don't think it actually says perhaps since it's uffington post they thought it wasn't a good idea to say where it was that's probably Probably. true it's kind of like the conjuring house in rhode island for Uh a really long time no one knew exactly where it was Mm -hmm. um just for the privacy of the owners and i think now a pair of uh, actual paranormal investigators own it so there's like this is the address everyone visit so well, yes, and when you've turned it into a business, sort of. Yeah. <laughs> and that's different from the Amityville house? Yeah, Amityville, they didn't... It's in Long Island. That's different than the... 
that's a different place ed and lorraine warren worked on both cases Mm -hmm. but um so the amityville's on amityville long island new york and then the conjuring house is in rhode island i don't remember exactly where i want to say cumberland Uh, so that's almost to the massachusetts border mm-hmm. so yeah and, and those long- of us those those listeners who are outside the united states long island new york and rhode island united states two separate places fairly close separate but- places very close they share a sound um a little body of water like a bay like a couple hours and block island but there are two different locations. So I used to live in Rhode Island. I love it a lot. Aw. Uh-huh. Um, I always, whenever we pass the Amityville exit in Long Island, I always think of Amityville Horror. I think everybody does. Yeah, yeah. yeah everyone does. And just recently, um, DeFeo died. Yes, yes. That was my other weird thing I had thought about doing. Yeah. Was, was talking about how, yeah, that he recently passed away. Yeah, we'll talk about that away. perhaps more in depth later yeah but so yeah. that's my weird thing i thought it was really interesting but uh this week is very weird because uh you've got your uh, uh cincinnati special deliveries so yeah this is cincinnati special deliveries download. yeah we we so yeah this is just a little piece of weird history this 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 week's episode is just everywhere we got we start with anger we slide into comics and now we go into weird history so you're just feeling all the emotions this week with all the various stories so come around everyone as i tell you the wonderful story of cincinnati special deliveries or the parcel post children of the united states in the early 20th century and we do source from the postal museum and the smithsonian uh also thanks to the legal eagle youtube channel Thanks, Devin, for letting me know about the story to begin with in one of his wonderful YouTube videos. Like, he didn't personally talk to me or anything. I don't know this man, but I am a fan of his channel. We watch the shows all the time. And he he mentioned Batavia, Ohio, and my ears went, hello, that's Cincinnati. So, <laughs> um, so this is just a quick, weird history. So Batavia, Ohio, it's to the east of Cincinnati. It's in Claremont County, Ohio. And it was the first place where the phenomena of mailing babies via United States parcel post was first practiced in, well, you guessed it, the United States. Uh, The first child was mailed, who was mailed, and also was male, was 10-month-old James Beagle. And he was the son of Mr. and Mrs. Jesse Beagle of Glen Est, Ohio, which is a small farming community, or was at the time. Glen Est. Glen Estee. Thank you. Glen Estee. See, I I mess up names. Thank you for correcting me. Uh, Now I know. Anyway, the boy was mailed January 15th, 1913 to his grandmother, Miss Louise Beagle, who lived just a mile away from them using the rural free delivery, which was a fi- which cost a 15 cent stamp. And he was insured for $50, which was a lot for that time. And I'm glad the parents insured him. Uh, the delivery man's name was Vernon Little. Uh, so... Why did the Beagles mail their son? Why didn't they just take a horse and 
travel that mile i actually don't know they never actually go into detail in any of the news stories that we have but the u.s postal service started delivering goods over four pounds on january 1st 1913 although private large parcel delivery services did exist in the united states in the 19th century the usps allowing for large parcel services suddenly gave the rural communities such as glenn est uh, <laughs> the ability to get goods delivered to them, especially Glen large. Glen Esty. My, my sister went to high school there. Oh, that's why you know. Okay, Glen Esty. Kind of like Estes Park, but not quite. Anyway, Col- Estes Park, Colorado, where the Stanley Hotel is. This is how I'm going to try to remember it. My pneumatic device is a haunted location. Anyway. Uh, so also postmen of these rural areas were really well known to everyone that lived there. They were trusted people. So this is why the Beagle family could trust that their infant son would be safely delivered one mile away at grandma's house by Vernon Little because they knew him and they knew they Vernon probably would not drop poor James <laughs> in the middle of winter. <laughs> I'm sorry. I shouldn't be laughing at this. Um, Yeah. Also, people would, when the over four pound limit was um, not restricted anymore, people liked to test this by sending odd things in the mail. My favorite thing they would do is send snakes through the postal parcel post. Oh, Jen, the face you were making. They also would send bricks or eggs, hopefully not together (laughs) because it just sounds like a mess. And in 1918, chickens and chicks were allowed to be sent through parcel post and leading to the uh, story with uh, May, little May, who I'll get to in a minute, where they said that she was sent via like the chicken, chicken amount, like chicken rate. But anyway, I'll get back to that in a minute. So between 1913 and 1915, seven children were mailed through the parcel post, according to the National Postal Museum, which is actually a lot of kids. Um, and the National Postal Museum actually has all the different situations and incidents of children being mailed. Uh, I'm focusing really just on Cincinnati right now. James also wasn't the only child in the region to be mailed via parcel post. In 1918, Cincinnati Post boy reporter Freddie Prince, then 13, mailed himself from Cincinnati to Versailles, Indiana. It cost him 40. It it cost actually the Cincinnati uh, Post 74 cents plus four cents for the war tax to mail Freddie. And he wrote about his experience in uh, the one of the September, I think September 18th, 1918 edition of the Cincinnati Post. And there he also makes the joke of how he went the rooster rate for going to uh, Versailles, Indiana, or Versailles, if you want to pronounce it correctly. We're going with right pronunciations here. Uh, Before the USPS parcel post was, uh, sorry, let me try that again. Before the USPS opened to parcel post for over four pounds, we have the story of Marie Ritter, a.k.a. the Tagged Girl, who was shipped from Stuttgart, Germany to Cincinnati, Ohio via Antwerp, Belgium. So, wow, that's a, she had a long way to go. Uh, At 15 years old, Marie did not know any English, uh, but it's believed she did know German and uh, she was 
navigating the American and European uh, train and shipment routes was rather difficult. So her family prepaid for her from Germany to be sent to Cincinnati to her sister. Marie's took Marie's trip took 11 days and she carried absolutely no luggage and nor did she chat with anybody else on the trip. Uh, She made it to Cincinnati on November 28th, 1901. And that edition of the Cincinnati Post also wrote about her trip. Um, So according to historian Greg Hand, who writes for Cincinnati Magazine, Marie had immigrated to the United States to join her sister, Frida, who worked at the Palace Hotel. Handman Hand mentions that in the 1910 census records, Marie was recorded working as a servant for a family in Walnut Hills. Afterwards, her records go dark, and we actually don't know what happened to poor Marie Ritter after that. And uh, thank you, Jen, for also finding the original. She found this original Cincinnati Post article. And I'm hoping that while I'm reading this, Christina is showing you the adorable little illustration of Marie Ritter (laughs) that they they created with all of her little tags that were pinned to her coat. Uh, So although the first male child was in the Cincinnati region, the most famous parcel post child was six-year-old May Pistero. Oh, Pierster. Oh, Jen, yeah. <laughs> okay. Pierstorf. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to take that again. Although the first male child was in the Cincinnati region, the most famous parcel post child was six-year-old May Pierstorf of Idaho. On February 19th, 1914, May's parents sent her 73 miles from their home in Grangeville, Idaho, to her parents via parcel post. Her postage was 53 cents. The stamps were tucked into her pocket. However, she was escorted the entire way by a family member who worked on the rail mail trains. Which brings me to how these kids were being delivered from one place to another. So if it was a short distance, like we had with James, they would basically ride in the carriage or on the horse or even just be carried by the postal worker. But if they were going further, they were riding the trains, the mail trains, as a passenger. And I know I dug up a few examples of what a mail train looked like at the turn of the 20th century. And they were just essentially freight trains with really no passenger seating, but these kids would just be put into one of these freight cars and sit there and I guess watch the scenery roll by and hope that the snakes don't bite them that are in the box with them. So, yeah. So the postmaster general issued directions in 1914 to the nation's postmasters that humans were not to, sorry, I got something in my eye. Um, Let me take that again. The Postmaster General issued directions in 1914 to the nation's postmasters that humans were to be barred from being mailed. This sounds like a wise decision. However, children were still mailed at the discretion of each local postmaster, meaning that they were riding the USPS mail trains as passengers in some incidents. Uh, Most of these incidents, though, after the 1914 directions were done locally so these kids were not really traveling that far 
The Cincinnati Postmaster investigated the case of three-year-old Maud Smith as she was mailed from her grandmother's home to her parents' home in Jackson, Kentucky. The postal officers from Cincinnati questioned why the local Coney, Kentucky postmaster let the trip occur violating the postal rules. Maud Smith was the last child known to be mailed via parcel post. By the late 1910s, except for publicity stunts like Freddie Prince, <laughs> kids were no longer mailed in the, and it just faded away into weird history. And that is the story of the Parcel Post Children, a.k.a. Cincinnati Special Deliveries. Oh, Jen is dying of laughter. You so many unanswered questions. So many unanswered questions. Oh, Jen, are you okay? Oh, yes, this is just hilarious. Cincinnati is known for the weirdest things. I know. That's why I love this podcast. I get to learn all of it. And it started and ended here. I know. I, I did not expect that. That was a twist. People in Cincinnati are just, people in Cincinnati are just very efficient. <laughs> you know, why? I would say goofy. Know, but, but, you know, this Marie Ritter story she was traveling for 11 days with no luggage that sounds it does. miserable and didn't talk she to didn't anyone. talk to him I mean, she I did like, have money to buy like food she was on a boat with, i assume there were i mean where do you go to the bathroom like yeah how do you get food how do you i'm like you know this seems very sounds lonely really weird it does but also it kind of like sounds she, like me in an airport so. but it sounds like she was taken care of like they kept an eye out for her yes no luggage you're in the same clothes for 11 mm-hmm. days Mm-mm. well back then i don't think they changed your clothes that much anyway they didn't have very many clothes but 11 days that's I mean, a long time small closets used to be, to be. Same clothes. that's that seems kind of stinky yeah it does. um it did mention i mean i i assume hmm? you, i said i assume you she might have gotten to wash a little bit but who knows who I mean, knows you look at steerage on those boats because she was pro- on a boat at some point you know, and they're pretty rough. It is. So uh, <laughs> it, it did say in the article that uh, she did have some money on her to be able to buy food. She didn't use oh, a good. lot of it, but she did. And she was, I won't say she was escorted, but the, um, let's see, the hand, where is his first name? Mm, Greg. Greg, thank you. <laughs> I was just like, mm-hmm. Greg Hand. Um yeah, he he did mention that a lot of the people that were escorting, not escorting, but helping her through all these stations and everything were making sure she was taken care of. So, yeah. I don't think now, people would okay, do that well. now. No, I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't think there would be that care taken. Although well, maybe it depends on what country you're in airlines. and what part of the United States. Yeah. Now, you can still ship. Uh, chickens and chicks you i have a story yes. about that oh my does it involve I, a snake no it involves dogs and chickens oh and um, a murder scene not a real oh. murder scene but my aunt and uncle live out in the country one of my aunts and uncles and one of their dogs got loose and ate the neighbor's chickens oh yeah. poor chickens. i mean they were country dogs they ran around but he you know went up and had a snack and she had to replace them. And I remember my cousin telling me this story. She's like, who knew you could buy chickens in the mail? 
since 1918. Yeah, but yeah, and and the U.S. Postal Service is the only place that does really that in the world. I mean, I know in my many road trips, I have seen semi trucks full of animals. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming they're being shipped somewhere. They have to yes. be. <laughs> I don't know if they ship livestock. I just know chicks for sure. Yeah. Well, I've seen um, chicks for sale at Rural, Rural King, which I thought was the cutest flipping thing ever. Yes. I'm like, oh, they have <laughs> Well, since this inadvertently is our Easter episode. Yeah. So I was about to say, chicks and bunnies. As, as a owner mm-hmm. of a rabbit, please mm-hmm. do not buy chicks or rabbits or ducklings as pets at Easter. I am the owner of a former Easter present and yeah, just don't do it. No. And don't don't Aww. put rabbits in guinea pig crates either. The the floors are not made for them. Oh really? Interesting. Oh yeah. I know so little about rabbit ownership. Yeah, don't put them on <laughs> wire mesh. Um so my fr- this is a an aside here. So my first rabbit was named Ichiro. And she was from the Indianapolis Humane Society and her previous owners, and we didn't know much about her, but her previous owners had put her in a guinea pig crate, which is fine for guinea pigs because their feet can go over the grating just fine. And the grating is small enough for their pellets to go through to keep their crates clean. But the meshes does not work with rabbit feet because rabbits have very long claw nails actually and you do have to trim them so ichido when she was very young got her foot stuck in the mesh and it twisted it permanently disfiguring her left hind leg so when her entire life she actually just dragged this leg behind her she couldn't hop or anything um so yeah please don't adopt rabbits for easter and just talk to the local house rabbit society when you want to adopt them, they are also considered exotics by a lot of veterinarians. So you'll have to get a special veterinarian. If you're in Cincinnati, there are quite a few. Interesting. Huh. Didn't know that. And yeah. that is my PSA about owning rabbits. This week we have a hometown haunt. Yay. Uh, who wants to read it? Do you want to read it? Um, <laughs> Do you want me? Or, or Jen? Jen, Jen looks like to- the child in class who's just like, bye. You can't see me. I'm sliding down now. Do you want to read it or do yes. you want Kat to read it? I can read it since hey, I you can read don't it. read much. Um, let, me, let me get to it. From yeah. Chad? Yeah, from Chad. Yeah. Okay. And this is a spooky, spooky story. Mm-hmm. Okay. Damn it. Will it freak Sorry. her out on camera? I don't know if it's quite that scary. I think being there... Like the circumstances late at night and stuff. Well, we'll, we'll let her read it and we'll see how. Yeah. I don't I want, want to say it. Yeah, no spoilers, right? No spoilers. Mm. Okay. Ready? <laughs> yes. Yes. Hold this up so it doesn't scratch. Okay. This is uh, from Chad. There were a few over the years. One of the spookiest ones was, was as follows We had just arrived back from a football road trip. It was around 3 a.m. and we were finishing up unpacking the equipment truck in the new football building. Other sports had been practicing while we were gone. So I had to go to the old equipment room in the dimly lit hallways of Jaeger stadium to get them to get team uniforms ready for their games. The next day I was by myself putting laundry away in field hockey and soccer equipment cubbies. When I heard a raspy voice say, Hey, 
as if someone was there trying to get my attention. We have night cleaning staff, but not on weekends. So I responded by just saying, hello. When there was no answer, I walked into the hallway and the fluorescent light fixtures above where I heard the voice was blinking on and off and then went out entirely. And, and uh, we might have Chad on eventually because this is just one of many experiences that he had. And At Yeager like Stadium? Was, yeah, it sounds like there was some, there's something going on and other people have said they've seen stuff. So this might be someplace <laughs> interesting to do like a ghost hunting. Yeah, we Not haven't read this one online before, have we? I said it, I, I pasted it and we all read it, yeah. Okay, because I know he told us this one too. I think during one of our yeah, illustrator and then, lunches. And then I pasted it. Then I pasted it. Yeah. And, okay. And um, that's where I'm, I know I, I knew this wasn't deja vu. We've done that episode already, but um, it might be I was just vu. like, this is I a mean, really familiar feeling, story. Are you feeling even more like remembering you remembering it? Like it's a vortex of remembering. Oh, that yeah. just makes my brain hurt. <laughs> this is, this is our new show is topic is inception. <laughs> just makes me feel insecure about my memory which does not oh. make me feel confident about myself no the older i get the more the more forgetful i get and i'm like i'm a little worried about it it's but, bad when you notice how much your memory is going and you're like geez 10 years ago i would not have let this escape and now it's just like a funnel yeah. i know it's but just falling out my ears if it makes you feel better they say the reason why a lot of times your recall is less um, robust as when you're younger is you do less stuff for one thing. I mm. mean, every day you're adding more and more megabytes of memory to your brain. And so it one takes longer hope. for it to recall. Um, well, do you guys live inside your heads? Like there's, I'm always talking to myself inside my head. Totally. So, yeah. Always. When I'm doing things, I'm thinking about something else, and then I forget to grab the my sister's Tupperware to take back to her on the way out to her house, you know. And I do it 50 million times, even though I stare at it as I walk past it. Yeah, like, <laughs> it drives me crazy. People can be talking to me, and I'll completely miss what they said and have to mm -hmm. ask them to repeat it. It's not mm -hmm. a hard of hearing thing. It's just a realization to not be concentrating on whatever I'm thinking about and focus on people outside of my head because mm -hmm. there's like a zillion things <laughs> going on. Yeah. Like just management. I never knew I'd be in so much management mode all the time when I was a yeah. kid. So mm -hmm. it, yeah. all I can say to my nieces and well, I don't have any nephews, but nieces is just not because they're girls, but it's just like, hey, small children, learn management. That will get you far in life. Just, it doesn't matter what you do, just know management, like time management is important. Yeah, I it think people learn that. Insanely important. Some people yeah. never learn it. But I, I, no. I think this is a really interesting haunt. He had a couple other ones, and that's why we thought it might be interesting to have him on because it sounds like there's definitely some sort of entity there. And I think that he also said like a similar situation like you described where you tell an entity and actually uh, the this all kind of ties together. The guy that we described in the something weird this week um, did not want to take the spirit home. And he said, don't come home with me. Mm -hmm. And um, 
I, he, he related in one of his, he was having trouble sleeping and he finally told them to leave him alone and he hasn't had nightmares since about That's, this. Yeah. I wow. also want to mention that if you hear a small child saying, Mama, that is my small child, not a ghost child haunting the podcast. Oh, it would be cooler if you said it was a ghost child. Yeah. No, we get so many emails yeah. saying, at this time, I heard Mama Dada. And I'm like, no, that's, <laughs> that's a very live child saying this. Oh, well, it's almost ready his for bedtime, bed. right? Yeah. So what's mm-hmm. he reading tonight? Um, let's see. Probably Llama Llama Red Pajama. It's that's an a popular favorite. One. But we have been reading actually the children's book that you illustrated um about the I'm gonna mess up this animal name, Paragon. Oh, Peng Peng Pangolin. 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 Yeah. Wow. Uh, just watch cats slip on names left and right on this episode. It's just it's like ice skating. I'm on one side, then I'm on the other, and then I'm crashing pangolin. through a fence. Well, I'm glad he likes the pangolin story. I think it's a cute story. Yes. He he likes that one. So um and then there, we also have a Fiona the hippo story that Aww. was done for the Cincinnati Zoo. So you have the we, one that uh, Kevin necessary illustrated? We do not have that one. We have the other one. The Cordry? Um, yeah, Cordry, which mm-hmm. I keep wanting to read like it rhymes and it doesn't and it drives me nuts because all the rest of his not Cordry, but all the rest of my kids' books all rhyme mm-hmm. and then Cordry's doesn't. Nothing against them, but it was just I'm expecting rhyming now and that did not happen. That's but alleged- I do like reading all the different animal voices. So Aww. that's allegedly an editor's pet peeve is rhyme. Like really? I, I think I think well and, and this terrifies me as somebody that's you know I, I don't want to say I'm a neophyte writer, but like one of my authors the one that wrote annie jump cannon also wrote little red bat she's a master at poetry and meter and stuff and i always feel really ignorant when i talk to her because she'll read a manuscript and say oh i really love the meter in this and all of the and i'm like meter (laughs) Um, oh yeah my my brain doesn't work poetically and if if you know a lot about that and so i think when editors say they don't like rhyme and poetry what they mean is we don't like bad rhyme and poetry right yeah you, you gotta have a dread- beat to it yeah there's a lot of really dreadful poetry out there yeah I, w- like, I wonder if a lot of poets hear words musically i do wonder that yeah so any poets that are in our audience please <laughs> send us feedback to what is it haunted not haunted hoosier mail that no um Oh my goodness, I just forgot the name of our own hometown haunted mail at gmail.com and tell us how do you visualize meter and rhyme? And if you write a limerick about our show, maybe we'll put music it to music. Or do you see in <laughs> that color? Sounds like a threat. No, no, not see in color. Do you hear in color? Oh, yeah. that's an interesting That's a good question. There are people that hear in color, and I just is that, watched... what is that what's that word that describes that? I, I, something i've heard here in color no people that like are, have a sensitized I know, like, there's a color thing and there's a word actual for it, and i can't remember what it's called um term for hearing in color okay just, internet it's sensasia yes yes i knew there was a word for it do you okay no no, no i just what <laughs> i think in cartoons well like, what made me 
think of it, I watched um, Daryl Hammond's documentary about his childhood and how he said um, he would assign colors to each voice, each character. Oh, interesting. And so if one character's blue, he's just like, okay, this person, this character's blue, this character's blue. And then he has voice. I do that I- with my characters when I'm writing. Um, my characters all have different color combinations Mm -hmm. and it's an old animation trick from what I understand Disney uses it a lot where wherever your character sits on alignment Mm -hmm. dictates what color scheme they're wearing so it's a color theory that I used to teach at my workshops so if you have a character that's prominently good or like lawful or neutral they tend to wear a lot of blue if they're neutral they're wearing a lot of purples and if they're evil they'll either wear black like dark reds or you got lime green somewhere in there every disney villain uses lime green somewhere so yeah that's a cool color too i mean yeah it's such a good color and also reclaim it yeah oh i love it um but yeah, it, it works really well with all those really dark backgrounds. So if you have a dark blue and dark blacks and dark purples, lime green is going to show up really well. So mm-hmm. um, when I'm char- doing my character designs, I'm putting like with witches and sorcerers, every single one of them has a different character color set. And if you know how to read color theory, you know exactly where they fall and where they're going. Um, huh. When I was really young, the example i got was aladdin because that was the hot disney movie out when i was a kid so genie the character genie is all blue because he's mm-hmm. all good and then aladdin is mostly blue with some purple and then you got abu who is a maroon with a little red hat and then you have jafar that's all uh, reds and blacks and then huh. jasmine is very obvious because she's blue the entire time until she gets magicked by jafar and then suddenly she's in a red outfit when she's pretending to be in love with him and then jafar as a genie spoiler alert um is all huh. red and black so wow and then you have the sultan who's just pure white and blue and gold because he's a naive cute character interesting that's oh, yeah. really fascinating. Books I need on the color I palettes wanna... of like Pixar and stuff. Yeah, want to know more. So that's just a really quick one rundown of color theory and okay. like mm-hmm. oh, that uh, showing Pixar character where development. They, where they talk about like scene colors and stuff. There's a whole book about that mm-hmm. and how they how they and then like that out. With anime, you can do this with hair. Mm-hmm. Hair, hair, and eyes get used a lot in anime. So in manga, in manhwa, so. You can suss out where a character is going and what their life story is just by what kind of hair texture they have and what color it is and all that's that. kind of that's so. kind of probably an outgrowth of theater isn't it thinking about like in in hmm. yeah. you know uh theater in japan but also like greek theater where they wore the big masks you know the drama masks you know which oh yeah kind of extreme expressions yeah if you, well, if you listen to some of the um old animators from disney it's very much theater explicit mostly musical theater mm-hmm. so you have that influencing also japanese anime and any korean animation going on as well so it high, musical theater is what makes animation modern animation that's what i always tell people that want to do like comic book art or fantasy art fantasy and science fiction art that it's kind of like opera 
that it's like mm-hmm. everything's bigger you don't like just show somebody mm-hmm. like in a tiny like average pose everything's like flowing oh, yeah everything is flamboyant and, and yeah mm-hmm. like if they were could sing they would be you know it's like mm-hmm. everything's very dramatic yeah you know, you, and that's what musical theater is it's just modern exactly. opera so mm-hmm. um it's all yeah if, if your emotions are too big to state you sing it that's true oh so, yeah no <laughs> <laughs> don't get me wrong i like some musical theater i'm not a huge fan of it i apologize that's okay that's okay um my theater yeah, kid I, is showing i'm yeah fine i grew with- up on musicals Seeing your emotions as long as there's some talking in between. Mm-hmm. Like it can't okay. just all be sun. Like I'm walking to the grocery store and I'm singing a song. No, isn't you're that not. an aria? Like, isn't that the form nope. where you, you go from speech to singing? I think that's what it may- maybe is. I have no idea. Anyway, if you have input, fair listener, on mm-hmm. our what we're talking about, you can send that to hometownhauntedmail at gmail.com and feel free to educate us on the proper theater terms of musical <laughs> theater or animation. Or if any of those things are haunted, we would really love to hear it. We got a few haunted theater stories. We need to talk about that. Well, you know, we I think we have talked about that in the past that theaters seem to have a lot of hauntings. So, yeah. um, you know, that once everybody's vaccinated and we're able to do some investigations, you know, perhaps some of our listeners who are in theaters can maybe get us in to check these these places out. Yeah, definitely so. the Sorg Opera House would be a, a must too. I really want to go there. Yeah. I also am not above to going to Broadway or musical theater shows. Just FYI. No, those I'm are open-minded. Fun. Yeah, yeah, I'm open-minded. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe uh, we, we can go to Sorg in, in filming. We haven't decided totally our promo for the comic. I don't know if we want to do mm-hmm. exactly what we did last year um you know we'll be revealing our plans in the next couple episodes clearly we now need to do a musical yes cincinnati captain of curiosities the musical no theater i'm looking at you (laughs) Uh, yeah jay Jay. make it happen (laughs) jay make it happen (laughs) well on that note everyone thank you for joining us for another wonderful episode of the cincinnati cabinet of curiosities presents hometown haunts i'm your host cat cloco along with me is christina wald and jen kohler and uh yeah if you have ghost stories you can send them to hometownhauntedmail at gmail.com and we'll see you next week but don't Bye-bye. send us your children no don't no. send us your children Mm-mm. we don't I'm, want them i have enough of 